Amen. Chris, ooh. I'm challenged already. Thank you, Christine, for sharing that great testimony. God's so good. You guys ready for the Word of God? Happy Fourth of July. Hopefully, you're having some burgers later today. Come on, somebody, you can't say amen to that. It's okay to like burgers. All right, go ahead and get your notes out, get your Bibles out. Open up to Revelation chapter three. Like Sam just said, we are finishing up uh, our last installment of the Letters from Jesus series, part eight. You made it. I don't know how many of you might, might have been nervous when we started a series in Revelation, but you made it this far. So way to go. I hope you've been encouraged. I know I have been. And uh, just as we get into this, Jesus knows how to end with a bang. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be one of those uh, <laughs> this morning. So before we get into reading the text this morning, I wanna start off with our review that we've been doing every week. So as you're getting your notes out, if you haven't been here, make sure you write this part down. This is gonna be helpful for you. If you have been here, write it down again. Um, I am unashamedly coming for your thoughts on this one so that this ingrains in your mind what you think of when you think of the book of Revelation. I'm just, I'm coming for it right there. That's what we want. So Revelation, we're going to review what is the book of Revelation because uh, sometimes we get a little nervous, a little scared, but we spent our first week in this series going to chapter one and letting God tell us himself why, what, what is this book and why did he give it to us? Amen. I'm here for God's thoughts, not Andrew's. Mine aren't that great. So Revelation is about Jesus about Jesus. I know that sounds churchy, because it is, and that's good because we're in church, but sometimes we can get distracted or confused, wondering what the, what the book of Revelation is about, which world leader is it talking to us about, is talking to us about Jesus, who rules everything. It is to, who's it to? Is it to just certain people at certain times and certain places? Chapter one tells us that Revelation is to his servants. That includes you and me. If we're followers of Jesus, this is written to the servants of Jesus in every time and place. Revelation can get the reputation of being hard to understand, and it is hard to understand when we try to read it through the lens of our newspaper or our websites. But we understand Revelation through the Old Testament. Through the Old Testament. We've been talking about Bible study 101 is we let the Bible interpret the Bible. The book of Revelation has more allusions to the Old Testament than the rest of the New Testament combined. So we got to read them in tandem, the Old Testament with the book of Revelation to help us understand it. It's going to help us not make stuff up, which is generally not a good thing to do when you read the Bible, just make stuff up about what it means. It is from God. It's not just from a lonely guy on an island who took shrooms one time, as somebody told me. It is from God. It is from God. And he gave it to us, not to confuse us, but he gave it to us for his glory. We are here this morning for the glory of God. You've heard us say this so many times, but the target audience of this church, and therefore each and every one of our lives, the target audience is Jesus. We're not here today for you or for me or any other person. We are here for the glory of God. We want to hear his word so that we can be shaped into the glory of God. If I have to get a little uncomfortable so that I can be shaped into the glory of God, that's okay, because I'm here for that. If I have to be disagreed with by Jesus himself and realize I might be wrong about a couple of things, that's okay, because I'm here for the glory of God. 
And we are given it because he is coming. He is coming and we want to know him and be ready to stand before him. We have reviewed the general flow of the letters as a whole each week, again, because it helps us understand what the, when we start with what the outline is, it helps us get through some of the hard parts and helps us hold on to the end so that when there's a confusing part, you can think, well, maybe by the end of this, he's going to make it make sense instead of just reading one verse at a time randomly and all that sort of thing. So how do these letters work? And this is going to be how we go through it this morning. But in general, these seven letters follow this flow. It starts with an introduction of Jesus. Jesus is dictating these letters. And at the beginning of each letter, he introduces specific aspects of himself. We've said this over and over again, and we'll say it again, because how can you not? Part eight, we can't, we got to finish strong. What Jesus introduces about himself at the beginning of each letter, it may be a little weird to you, but it's never random. He's always saying something specific and on purpose. Usually his introduction is giving us a lens through which to read the rest of the letter so that we understand what we're looking for, or he's given us a little bit of a snapshot of what to expect. So it might be weird, but it's not random. Then in most of the letters, spoiler alert, not today, most of the letters get an encouragement, but not today. Uh, most of the letters get a rebuke. We get that today. And then we get a call to repentance. Praise God. Jesus doesn't just come, yep, you're really screwing that up. See you later. <laughs> come to me. He teaches us how to repent, how to turn away from those things and come to him. And then every letter ends with a promise for the faithful. Because revelation is a revelation about Jesus. And as we said last week, the general theme is it's a revelation of his authority over all things. And everything in the book of Revelation is calling us to faithfulness, calling us. Don't get distracted. Don't leave him. Don't deny his works. Don't deny his name. Hold fast. Stay faithful. And I'm so thankful that he ends his letters with a promise, a promise to us to hold on to, to look forward to to trust in, to build our lives on. So that's what we can expect as we get going this morning. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Would you join me in standing for the reading of the Word of God? If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? Somebody's asking me, is that how you say it? And I said, that's how I say it. <laughs> and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The words of the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He just keeps going. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 
The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you do have something to say to your church this morning. And we're asking that you would give us ears to hear. We thank you for the last several weeks we've had together in this part of your word. And as we finish up this morning, we pray that we wouldn't get tired of listening. I pray that we would listen with fresh ears again today. Pray that we would come in with, a, with an expectation. Lord, I pray that we would come in knowing that you have something to give that is good this morning. The Bible says, Jesus, that he gives good gifts to his children. And so, Lord, whatever the gift might be wrapped in, might be prickly at times, but we know what you are giving us is good this morning. Put expectation into our hearts right now that we would lean in and listen and receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. We're going to start uh, in the beginning. It's usually a good place to start. Let's jump into this introduction here. As we finish up our series this morning, verse 14, it says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. What is this letter about as we get started? This letter is about perspective. You should write that down. This letter is about perspective. Jesus says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness. Amen is, is a word that's just been uh, alliterated into different languages. It, it just means faithful and true. It's not really an English word, and so he's repeating himself. I am the amen. You know how, like, when the Bible says, uh, when God says, God is love, or God is good, like, it's not something he does, it's who he is. And so he's saying, I'm not, I'm not just faithful, uh, like, I don't just do faithfulness. I, I, I am faithful. I am true. I am the amen. It's who I am. It's my name. It's what makes me who I am. I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. What do witnesses do? They, they, they see something and then they tell about it. And Jesus is saying, I, I am faithful to see things the way that they are. I am a faithful witness. When, when I look at something from my perspective, I am faithful to see it as it really is. And I am a true witness. When I tell you about it, when I give you my assessment of what I see, when I recount to you what I have seen, when I witness to you, my witness is true. When I, when I tell you what I see from my perspective, you can trust what I'm saying. He is the beginning of God's creation. In the New Testament, we're also told he is preeminent. He is above all things. He is the firstborn from among the dead. See, from Jesus's perspective, he, he, he is the cornerstone of the, of the city of God, the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. As he is the second Adam. From his, he sees things how they ought to be. He has a seat on the throne that is above every other name. He, seats, he is seated high above all other things. From his perspective, he's seeing things the way they ought to be. And so that's what Jesus introduces himself. I am the one who sees correctly. 
And he wants to tell us and witness to us this morning about what it is that he sees from his seat. So this letter is about perspective. He wants to give the church in Laodicea his perspective on some things. And we find out immediately how badly they need it. Not us, right? (laughs) I know your works. I see them. I know your works. You are neither hot, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. I just, I wish you'd pick one. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. No, none of us came to church for that this morning. (laughs) I'm here to get encouraged, Pastor. (laughs) Ouch. I mean, I was reading this this week, and I had to consciously choose to, what's the word I'm looking for? Accept the fact that this letter wasn't written to the culture in Laodicea. It was written to the church. I don't appreciate that. (laughs) I didn't know Jesus talked to his church like that. I didn't know he would say things like that to his church. It starts messing with some of my preconceptions of what God is and isn't like and what he does and doesn't say at church, to his church. See, Laodicea was a city that had some neighbors. On one side, their neighbor was Hierapolis or something, and they were known for their hot springs. On their other side of Laodicea was a city, the city of Colossae, known for their cold springs. Laodicea didn't have natural springs in and of itself, So they had to pipe their water in via aqueduct. And by the time it would get to their city, whether it came from the hot springs or the cold springs, it would be lukewarm and slightly dirty. Well, Laodicea was known for a couple of things that were important. They didn't have good water, but what they did have was they they had banks. They pioneered the banking industry in their region. They had banks. They were known for their cloth and their clothing industries. They had textiles, and, and they were known for a school of ophthalmology. They, they, had a, they had an ointment that they had developed to help people with bad eyes. From, from their perspective, they saw their spiritual state reflected in their wallets, in their wardrobes, and in the way they could see things clearly. But from Jesus' perspective, their spiritual state was more reflected by their water. And so Jesus says to them, I know your works. You see yourself this way, but I see you that way. So in verse 18, he says to them, I counsel you, praise God, that he would come and counsel us. I counsel you to buy from me Come buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. 
Jesus says, you see yourself this way. I see you this, that way. And now I counsel you. Again, what a blessing it is that Jesus would counsel us this morning. He doesn't have to do that. He wants to counsel us this morning. Yes, he is being very direct. He is being very intense, but it is only because he has the remedy. He is faithful and true. He's seeing them right. And he's saying it right. But it's because he has the remedy. Think about it this way. You don't want to go to the doctor and have your doctor change his diagnosis of you just because he knows it's going to hurt your feelings if you hear what's really going on. That, that, that is not kindness. That is not compassion. That would not be love. Amen, somebody in church. That would not be loving. Pretending a problem doesn't exist is not kindness. See, Jesus... He says, I, I counsel you. Jesus is speaking to you. Christine just testified to this. God is speaking. Amen? He says at the beginning of every letter, the words of him, I'm speaking. I've got something to say. What does every letter end with? He who has an ear, let him hear. God is speaking. He is alive. And we need to understand that he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't just speak to you to pat you on the back. He doesn't only speak to you to affirm you. He doesn't only speak to you what you really want to hear. Jesus speaks to counsel you. He speaks to counsel you, to work out your issues, to straighten out your crooked ways, to transform your bound up mind. Have you, ever, have you ever been to a counselor? I, 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 I've, I've got a, a friend who's in counseling and I, I have phone calls to help navigate different thoughts and stuff. And one thing that I just, I was like, I, what I don't want is for you to like feel bad for me. I need you to point me towards some right thinking. I need you to point me towards how do I navigate this? What questions do I need to ask God? The last thing I need to hear from a counselor is, oh my gosh, that just like sounds really hard. Like, yeah, but how do I go through, how do I... Work through it, right? Help me think through this. I need you to have a value for truth more than my feelings. When you speak to me, I need you to counsel me towards health, towards life, towards truth, towards peace. Don't just affirm me. Don't just tell me what I want to hear. I need to be counseled. And Jesus says, I counsel you. I counsel you. See, you, you, you may need, I don't know, I'm not going to say this is true for you, but I will suggest and throw it out there. You may need to take off some filters that have been put on your ears or that you have put on your own ears that a, a self-centered worldview and a self-centered faith have taught you. Because if, if you don't take off these filters that that filter out all the things that don't jive with what you feel like. Filter out all the things you don't want to hear from God. Filter out all the things that don't make you feel great. Filter out all the things that aren't just affirming. If you don't take off those filters, you are going to miss most of the most important things 
that God has to say to you. You're going to miss most of the most important things, not some of the secondary things. You will miss most of the most important things. How are you going to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely if you are unwilling to listen to him talk to you about your hindrances and your sins? Here's the deal that we learn in this letter. If, if we are lukewarm, we, he will spit us out. That part is clear, right? Anybody confused about that? I know it says it right there. So here's the bottom line. If we are lukewarm, he will spit us out. So when we get lukewarm, it's not if, let's, we're, we're in this together. When we get lukewarm, it would not be kind. It would not be compassionate. It would not be love for Jesus to come and speak to us and say, you know, like, um, hey, excuse me. Um, like, I hate to interrupt you because, like, I know you're so happy and, like, living your most authentic self, but there, like, actually might even be a few adjustments that you could potentially make if you wanted to that would make you even happier because, like, that's what I care most about is that you are happy, but I don't want to offend you, so if it's not going to make you happy, you really don't, you don't need to do it. This is just kind of a suggestion for you, so if it doesn't resonate with you or give you positive vibes, you can just write it off. Listen, I know, I know, it's, it wouldn't be kind. It wouldn't be compassionate. It wouldn't be love for him to speak like that to us. Because which one of us is gonna change if he talks to us like that? And if we don't change, we're gonna get spit out. So what he does in his love, in his compassion, in his kindness, is he speaks to us more like, hey, yo, I am coming soon. You, my friend, are lukewarm. And if you remain lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to spit you out. You don't want to be spit out. So let me counsel you on what you need to do next. Let me help you change. Let me help you stop it. I don't want to spit you out. But if you choose to stay lukewarm, I will. You sure don't want to be spit out. So let's make a decision now. Let me counsel you. I, I, I counsel you. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. They were rich in the treasures of the earth, but they were poor in the treasures of heaven. They were poor in the things of God. They were poor in, in purity, in righteousness, in good works, in perseverance, in obedience, in faith, in prayer. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler who had everything and who had obeyed so many laws and said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, there is one thing you lack, but that you might have treasure in heaven. And he instructs him. How many times 
and ways does God through his word tell us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Run the race so that you might receive the reward. Do not let anyone seize your crown. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run the race marked out for you. Finish the fight. He wants us to be rich in the treasures of heaven. Buy from me gold refined by fire that you might be rich. Be rich in the things of God. Be rich in eternal things. Be rich in what will last and stand through the fire of judgment. Be rich. Do not let anyone seize your crown. To those of you who were here last week. How do you know what you are rich in and what you are poor in? You are wealthy in whatever it is that you have to give. You are wealthy in whatever it is that you have to give. So, are you a wealth of gossip, sports information, complaints, frustration, anger, opinions, movie quotes, pop culture references? What do you have to give? Or, or, or do, are you someone who gives encouragement, hope, peace, wisdom, prayer, biblically formed understanding on people and situations and circumstances? Do you give grace, honor, faith, steadfastness? Are you a righteous example of faithful obedience? What are you wealthy in? What do you have to give? What do you have to give to the world around you, the people around you, the situations that you find yourself in? You are wealthy in whatever it is that you give. I'm going to get uncomfortably honest, but I'm only doing it because Jesus is uncomfortably honest in this letter. Sometimes I hear um, or I'm asked about discussion time in life group, for example. It, things can feel a little bit awkward. And if you've been in life group, maybe you would recognize this situation. Or if you've led a life group, see, it's like, uh, we're having such a good time hanging out. But as soon as I try to transition and say, like, okay, let's talk about the Bible. It's like everything just like the vibe just gets killed. <laughs> I don't know how to transition from having a great time, just eating dinner, catching up, catching up with our week to talking about the Bible. Feels so heavy. I'm like, ah. I ask questions and no one really answers. We all just sort of look at each other. So maybe we need to change the way we're doing discussion. Or maybe the way we do life group needs to change. Maybe we need to talk about something else. Maybe the questions need to change. Or maybe we're poor. Yeah, it, it is kind of awkward talking about the Bible when we don't read it. It's kind of awkward talking about holiness if we don't want it. It's a little awkward talking about prayer if we don't do it. it it's difficult to talk about how to lead our wives and our families and the ways of God when we aren't seeking the ways of God. It is a little awkward to talk about honoring God with our finances or our decisions or our lives when honestly we would rather not. 
honor him with those things. Maybe the things of God are actually really fascinating, but we just aren't that interested. We're gonna have a men's conference here for just a second. (laughs) Men, I don't know if you've ever thought this or if you've heard this conversation. Maybe this is like a conversation that just happens in like pastor rooms when we talk about church stuff. I don't know, but... But why, why is it that it seems like church oftentimes is harder for men than for women? Like harder to connect, harder to want to go, harder to want to be a part of it, harder to get excited about. Why does it seem that sometimes it can be easier for women sometimes to like connect at life group or something, for example? Or why is it that there's just frankly more women in church than men? The, the, the reasons I hear or have said or have been around in these conversations is like, well, you know, like men don't really want to just like come to something Sunday morning and like sit and listen to somebody else talk about something or like men, you know, more naturally or for the most part, like don't want to like hang out on Wednesday night with some other people and like just sit around and like talk about stuff. We want to go do something. We want to go accomplish something or whatever. It's kind of like, it's, it's hard for, for men because like church isn't that manly. With all the love in my heart, My brothers, let us be honest. That is like lukewarm ridiculousness. We love listening to people talk about stuff. This is like what we do. Sports radio, news shows, radio shows, three-hour Joe Rogan podcasts, Dave Portnoy pizza reviews, Shaq and Chuck going at it on TNT. I mean, come on, like we, we love listening to people talk about stuff. We love sitting down talking about stuff. This is what we do. We, we hang out, we sit down, we talk about stuff. NBA finals, how your grass is growing this year. <laughs> Sun King or Ford A. Ray, the Ram TRX or the Ford Raptor. I mean, come on, somebody, that'll get heated. What's the deal with crypto? What direction is it going? What's going on at work? Sticky stuff in the Major League Baseball. What type of charcoal are you cooking with today? This is what we do. Just whatever. We'll listen to somebody talk about whatever. We will sit down and talk about whatever stuff. Now listen, I am not saying there's anything wrong with that stuff. What I'm saying is that, men, we love talking about stuff we know something about. So maybe the reason we don't want to talk about the things of God is because we don't know anything about the things of God. And so when somebody brings up the things of God, it makes you feel poor. And no man likes to feel poor. I counsel you, come buy from me gold refined by fire that you might be rich. Do something about it. I counsel you, don't be passive. Do something about it. 
Buy from me gold refined by fire. Buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Put on the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Live covered in my righteousness, gentlemen. Put on the full armor of God. Walk clothed in his purity. Buy from him salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Don't settle for the lie that you can't understand the Bible. Don't settle for the lie that you'll never hear God for yourself. Don't respond to conviction from the Holy Spirit or from me or from your wife or from your friends by acting childish and getting offended. Let him give you eyes to see. Let him give you ears to hear. Let him give you a heart to understand. Let his word be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path that he might lead you in the ways of life everlasting. Let him counsel you. Laodicea has become lukewarm. They become lukewarm and Jesus has come to light a fire under their butts. It is not comfortable I'm done being awkwardly honest because I'm uncomfortable. But it is evidence of his love. It is evidence of his love for them. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I have a certain child who, when we have to do discipline, uh, gets very offended. <laughs> mean. You're rude. This child doesn't, doesn't like it. And that's okay. That's okay for now. But what I want us to learn from that is that it, 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 is, it is okay, it is appropriate for my child to have this perspective of discipline, but it is a childish perspective. It is a childish perspective of discipline to see it as mean, rude, and unloving. We need Jesus' perspective to see that his discipline is a gift. It is a sign of love. Jesus knows more than you do how much your life matters. Listen to me, church. Jesus knows more than you do how much your life matters. And he cares that you walk in the reward that he bought with his own blood through his suffering. So it is, it is his love that he is faithful and true in his reproof and in his discipline. We cannot be childish and get offended by the discipline of the Lord. We must be childlike and be zealous in repentance. Be zealous in repentance. This word zeal, it, it, it speaks of, of a burning, of a raging fire, of a, I can't hold back. I just have to repent. I'm just so convinced that if he's calling me out on it, it must be best for me to leave it behind. He must love me so much that he's willing to say something that might make me walk away from him forever. 
He must love me that much. I got to come to him. I've got to turn. I've got to let go. He must see something that I don't see. Be soft before the Lord. Bend easily. Bend easily. If nothing else, for your own sake, don't be stiff. Don't be stiff. I've heard gentleness described as just enough force to get the job done. And Jesus is gentle. He will push as hard as you make him. Or worse, at some point, he will let you stay standing. Be soft before the Lord. Don't push back and harden your heart. How do you purchase gold refined by fire? What gar- how do you purchase white garments to cover your nakedness? How do you purchase salve to open up your eyes? Be zealous in repentance. Be zealous in repentance. God is so good. He, he is so faithful. You need to receive his reproof and discipline as his love and zealously bend your will towards his. Bend easily before the Lord. Verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. All this time, they've been having church and locked Jesus outside. Are we? Are you living our Christian lives, locking Jesus on the outside? (laughs) And now he is standing at the door knocking. He is standing at the door knocking. If this church can receive the discipline of the Lord as his love, if they can get past being offended by him telling them very offensive things like that they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, if they can set down their pride and realize that as much as it stings to hear, it's true, they've become lukewarm. They will realize that even in all of that painful truth, he has still loved them enough to come. He has still loved them enough to come and stand at their door, knocking, calling out to them. The grammar suggests here that this is an ongoing action, that he is always standing at the door knocking. This is what Jesus does. He stands at the door and knocks. Being zealous in repentance, it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing lifestyle. This is helpful for some of our paradigms and perspectives. What should I expect as I walk this life with Jesus? You should expect that he will never stop inviting you in to zealous repentance. It's not just a one-time thing because sometimes we can get so discouraged. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have, and I've talked with so many people. Well, if I repented, why am I still tempted? Why do I still have sin in my life? What is still going on? See, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you are justified before him. He forgives you. He washes away your sins. You are born again. The old passes away and the new comes. You are adopted as a child of God in his kingdom. He no longer identifies you as a sinner. You are now stamped as a saint of the living God. Now, 
As you walk with Jesus, he is sanctifying you. Got some church words this morning. You've been justified, but now as you walk with him, he is sanctifying you through ongoing repentance. He is faithful to stay knocking at the door. Why? It's not because you're not saved. It's because you're being sanctified. Sanctification is the journey of Jesus disciplining you to learn how to live as the child he already made you. See, you are a saint now, and sometimes you still sin. That doesn't make you a sinner who's trying to be a saint. It makes you a saint who's learning how to be one. Salvation isn't just a destination. It is an invitation into sanctification. It is an invitation into a lifestyle of zealous repentance. Jesus is standing at your door knocking. If you will hear his voice and open the door to him, he will come in to eat with you and you will eat with him. He will shape you. He will teach you. He will build you. He will empower you. He will enrich you with the inheritance of his kingdom. He will clothe you with his righteousness. He will give you eyes of faith to see what cannot be seen and he will teach you to be a conqueror because he is a conqueror. Verse 22, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. All of this call through these seven letters to be conquerors, it's just a call to be like him. It's a call he's outlining for us. This is how you conquer. You can trust me because I've done it. I know how to hold fast. I know how to not abandon my first love. I know how to stand against the synagogue of Satan. I know how to pick between cold and hot and not settle for being lukewarm. I know how to live zealously before the Lord. I know what it is to prioritize the gold of heaven. I know what it is to wear the white robes of righteousness. I know what it is to live with eyes open to see. Everything it is that you need to do, you can learn by walking with me. He's not sending you out on your own, my friends. He is not coming to his church, kicking them out the door. He is coming before the time to spit them out has come. Praise the Lord. If that isn't the definition of grace. He has come to them and said, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Let me teach you how to conquer. Let me teach you how to conquer. I know what it costs. I know how hard it is. I know what it feels like but I know it can be done. Why don't you go ahead and stand as we wrap up our time this morning. As we finish this series, the question that we have before us is, will we believe him? Will we believe him? Will we lean on his perspective? Will we learn to see things the way he sees them? Will we let him teach us to value what it is that he values? Will we be a people that live humbly before him. Will we have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches? Will we listen knowing that as we've seen in these seven letters, Jesus is faithful to bring encouragement when we are faithful and he brings loving discipline where we need it. 
And it's not just because God is far off, high and lifted up. It is because he is close and he's calling us to the seat prepared for us. He is calling you to the throne that he has conquered to share with you. He is calling you to the crown that he has shaped for you to wear. Do you believe that your life matters as much as he thinks it does? Do you believe you are headed towards the things that Jesus says you are headed to? Do you believe that he has set before you the opportunities that he says he has set before you? And will you choose that over the temporal? Will you choose that in the midst of discomfort? Will you choose that instead of offense? Will you believe that these are the words of the amen? His witness is faithful and true. He is the beginning of God's creation and I will follow him. We're gonna have our prayer team come up and be available if you need prayer for anything in your life whatsoever. You may need to repent of something. You may need a miracle, something totally unrelated to what we've done this morning. But this is the house of God. If you need prayer, don't leave it. Don't leave here without getting the prayer that you need. I'm gonna pray for us as we spend our last few minutes together worshiping and every single one of us responding in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you for these letters. We choose to point our ear towards you right now, not just individually, but collectively. And we surrender individually, but also collectively. And we say, Lord, we wanna be your church. We wanna be about your business. We wanna be hard to offend in your presence and quick and zealous to repent because we wanna sit with you in the throne that you have called us to. We wanna learn to conquer as you have shown us how to conquer. So come and speak to us, lead us in response by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.